This podcast is brought to you by Erickson Immigration Group. Welcome to Immigration Nerds. Today's guest is former University of Mexico anthropology professor, New York Times contributor, and author of The Deep Midwest, Bob Leonard. It's a pleasure to have you on. Well, glad to be here. Thank you, guys. Thank you. And of course, our lead researcher, Luke Bianco. Happy to be here. Very excited for this conversation. Cool. Uh, So, Bob, uh, a lot of your analysis comes from the perspectives of a Midwestern point of view. I kind of have two questions, but uh, as a native Iowan, what are some aspects of rural life that are often overlooked? that the rest of the country, if they took the time, could appreciate from. And from there, what would be your elevator pitch for new immigrants to consider living there? Wow, that's quite a challenge. Um, <laughs> well, there's so much about rural areas and about Iowa in particular, well, in the Midwest in particular, that people don't know about in the sense that the narratives about where we live are constructed by people not from here. And so you can imagine your communities, what if you know I parachuted into your communities and after a couple of days thought that I could write about it, come to different conclusions. And with the Iowa caucuses being here, we get that a lot. You know, we get old writers from New York coming in and complaining that our Marriott is dumpy, that we're all hicks and that we're stupid and that you know we just don't um, you know, uh, that we're ignorant and that if, and a lot of the liberals from the coast think that if, if that we just, if they talked to us enough and educated us, that we'd be just like them. And so we get a lot of that, a lot of flyover country stuff. And, you know, it's sort of one thing or the other, it's either Madison Avenue kind of narrative about, you know, fresh scrub kids, farm tractors, you know, Dodge pickup trucks and this sort of Madison Avenue uh, vision of the Midwest or, you know, the flyover country version. So I think we've got some a good start on constructing our own narratives that um, a lot of uh, rural America is more sophisticated, more educated, and, uh, oh, I don't know, has more to offer than a lot of people think. Why do we need immigrants? Because rural America is in trouble economically, financially, we have more jobs than people to fill them. And we need immigrants. It's like the, in my county, Marion County, Iowa, if we made everybody that was on unemployment, we're about 33,000 people. If we made everybody on unemployment, go back to work, we still would have 807 jobs open. And so where are we going to get those people? You know, they're not going to come from the big cities. A lot of immigrants uh, come from agrarian backgrounds. They've, you know, fit in well, and we just need them. And then we need, there's all kinds of jobs, you know, good jobs opening in manufacturing. I mean, there's all kinds of really good jobs open. And so our business leaders are dying for immigration reform but most of them are Republican. And you can't really say that given what the Trump administration and you know, a lot of other a lot of the Republican narratives demonizing immigrants, especially over the last four years, sort of set the stage where there's an opportunity to win. I mean, we've got all kinds of, just on our Southern border, we've got all kinds of, of hardworking people that want to work, that want to have a better life, 
And here we are with jobs open, but we can't make the connection. And then worldwide, there's more refugees now than there has ever been. And so we have a place for them. So what's keeping us from immigration reform? And I think it's the fear that the Republican Party has um, sort of stoked over the last few years. I don't know. Is that does that answer your question? Absolutely. That's a great kickoff. And I think that ties in well with Luke. Yeah. Yeah. So so you mentioned this this idea of kind of constructing your own narratives. And, and one of the ways that it seems you've gone about doing this is, is through this op-ed that you wrote for The New York Times, Why Rural America Needs Immigrants. And in it, you talk about the need for you know, smart public policy for sustained growth. Uh, could you discuss like what kind of policy uh, you would ideally like to see and, and what role immigration would play in that policy for you? Well, um, again, I've told you guys that I'm not an immigration expert. I'm an expert at, you know, my, my community, the, you know, where I live. We need a couple of things. One is programs, a guest worker program that's flexible that we Oh, let people come in for, you know, different times of years, you know, when harvest, you know, is needed. But then we also need people that want to come and live here. And so I think that we need to serve, we can serve our needs, but we also need to serve the immigrants' needs. I mean, one of the narratives is, oh, the people will come here, and then they'll just send all their money back home. I don't think that that's necessarily true. And besides, if they want to send their money back home, that's their prerogative. They're, they're, they'll pay their taxes. The, they have their communities elsewhere. And if they want to stay there, I think that we should be flexible for them. But we also need people that want to stay here. And we have a number of, of and that's very well documented by um, Art Cullen, a Pulitzer Prize winner, Art Cullen in his uh, book called Storm Lake, which is about how Storm Lake has taken a, Storm Lake was a you know, a troubled community, population decline. They had a meatpacking plant, you know, and different kinds of operations. And they started bringing in immigrants. And now they've got this diverse, wonderful community where, you know, everybody gets along and there's all kinds of contrib contributions from a variety of ethnic groups that in that local rural community, the same kind of thing is happening in Perry, Iowa, and Columbus Junction, Iowa. It takes a while for everybody to get used to each other then things you know, seem to go very well. And so there's a lot of places where it's happening and we need more places for it to be happening. And these are you know, good role models. So well, I worked in Mexico for about parts of eight years and I crossed the border a lot um, from New Mexico to Mexico. And I got to know some of the border patrol guys and this was back in the eighties and nineties. And the guys would tell me, okay, we're, uh, you know, it's apple harvest season in Washington state. So we're supposed to let up. We're supposed to let a bunch of people through to go pick apples. And so there was this sort of flexible, unwritten thing where the word would come down and then people would come in and then they'd go back home when harvest was over. They'd go pick celery. They'd go pick, you know, whatever in California. And so it was a flexible worker program. And, you know, I think we need more of that. But then we also need what um, the different groups and cultures have to offer if, um, what ends up happening, and Dave Swenson, an economist at Iowa State University told me this, is that people here fear for their jobs. And I, kind of, and I grew up being a carpenter, and Matt Russell, who's my co-author on this piece, he's a farmer, we're blue collar guys. And there's concern that immigrants are gonna take jobs. 
But that doesn't happen. Dave Swenson sort of spelled it out to me. He says, first generation immigrants come and take the jobs that Americans don't want. It's second and third generation immigrants that start permeating society and, and making contributions at other levels, not to minimize the contribution, you know, in, in manufacturing, farming, whatever. But if you look at, oh, the Des Moines Register published a list of the top 10 uh, students in Iowa. And if you look at the list of names and just inferring from the names, the ethnicities of the kids, half of those 10 kids came, their parents came from somewhere else. And they're going, you know, they're going to medicine, they're going into research, they're doing, you know, that in second and third generations, you know, the immigrant experience is to become some of our best and brightest. And so that's sort of the immigration story for all of our ancestors that came. You know, my ancestors came from Germany and Norway. Well, that's what they did. They were farmers, you know, construction workers. Uh, grandpa was a shipbuilder. I mean, so that's the immigration story of America. And I think that we need more of that. And I think there's, you know, all kinds of programs um, that I think can, I don't know, provide all kinds of economic opportunities and bring prosperity to the immigrant populations, but then also to those of us that are already here. Right, right. And, you know, talking about the opportunities, there's, there's such opportunities in rural America. For the particular industries, what skills are required? Uh, what job openings are there? What career channels and pathways is most needed uh, in the areas that you speak of? Well, we're blessed to have a diverse agriculture and manufacturing base, especially in our county manufacturing base. Right here in town, you know, we desperately need people to work at the food processing plants. Uh, at Hormel, if you eat pepperoni pizza, it uh, probably came from the plant in Knoxville, Iowa, the pepperoni did. But then there's, uh, we also have all kinds of other things, pelodors and windows, uh, precision, uh, um, precision pulley, which makes uh, the conveyor belts for food manufacturing and also for mining. We've got Weiler that makes manufacturing equipment. We really need machinists mm -hmm. and welders mm -hmm. and really good jobs. And I, I, you know, I interview some of the guys on the floor at, at Weiler. I interview their engineers too, but it's like, I drive into their, I drive into the employee parking lot and these guys are driving 40 and $50,000 pickups. They're driving better pickups than I am. And so it's like, when I see a, uh, the employee parking lot with really good vehicles, I know that's a good paying job. And so, you know, to be a welder, a machinist, um, and, you know, you can get a welding certificate be a good welder in a few weeks. And then a lot of the things have, have training, you know, on the job. I know there's some language skill issues at the beginning, but, you know, we've got a different community college that would, you know, that would provide that kind of, if we need a, somebody to teach welding that speaks Spanish, for example, they'll provide it. I mean, so there's all kinds of opportunities and, you know, we're pretty good at communicating anyway. So it's just all kinds of construction jobs. I mean, we're begging for construction jobs. You know, I grew up doing construction, but I'm not a very good plumber. I had to call six different plumbing outfits to get somebody to come to my house to fix a, a plumbing problem. So, you know, we need plumbers. We need handymen. We need 
all kinds of things. And I've got friends, you know, that are here from Mexico. I'd never ask about their immigration status, but I ask them if they, I've got a buddy who needs more people doing construction and he can't find enough people to work. And so I ask my friends, you know, do you know how to do construction? Well, yeah, I know how to do that, but we can't get them into the, into the cycle. There's sort of, there's an underground economy here as there is many places, but we need to make that transition. A buddy needs six guys or gals to go build houses, do remodels. I know six guys that could do it, but they're sort of on the margins of our society. I'm not going to say what kind of work they're doing. They're working, they're contributing, they're paying their taxes, but they can't get the green card that they need to go to work. Right. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about in terms of putting policies in place to help incentivize an easier transition from you know, immigrating and to be you know, a full citizen in America because they're contributing to these locations. They're contributing to the community, but to make it uh, official <laughs> in, in that sense. Um, but there's abundance of opportunities in the, the areas that you speak of, and they need the help. They need the skills that a lot of times the people who are migrating to America already have, right? They did it in their hometowns, you know, back home in their, in their home country. Uh, so it, it does seem like a, a perfect fit <laughs> in sorts, uh, but to be able to bridge that gap, letting immigrants know that, hey, this is a place that's open, you know, we're, we're viable, we're here, you know, and I think more, the more that we speak and sort of put out that beacon that, <laughs> hey, Iowa's around, we're hiring, Wyoming is hiring, uh, I think a lot of times it's overlooked, but to uh, just sort of put out that, that, that signal uh, that we're here, we're hiring, and we need the skills that you guys possess. So the outreach is most important. No, I was just going to say, you've done a really good job of, of describing kind of more of the, the structural issues here, that there's just simply not the visa programs in place, or there's not that flexibility with regards to immigration to, to allow people to, to come and, and fill these jobs. Um, do you think that there's a like a social or a stigma aspect to this as well on on either side, either from the immigrants who maybe have a, a preconceived notions of, of what rural America looks like, um, or from the community of, of you mentioned you know potentially the language barrier or some other stigma that might be kind of preventing some of uh, these jobs from being filled beyond the structural aspect. Well, you know. Um... With respect to, from the immigrant perspective, I don't know a lot, but one of the best things about writing in the New York Times, and we've done you know several things before, is that we get the experts contacting us, like you guys. And I'm sorry, but I forget the, this fellow's name, but he said, we sort of, he was very nice about the piece, but he says, there's even more evidence for you. And that, you know, let's say 43% of the people coming from this country actually did agricultural jobs. They, and so we didn't know that. We thought there'd have to be more training with agriculture and maybe there is, but it's like, they're already prepared. They like, they obviously like living in rural areas in their home country. They would like it here. They'd be, you know, um, they'd be predisposed to living here. Now with um, my friends here, the people that actually, that have jobs open, they'll take 
anybody that, you know, will work hard. And a lot of the things with the language barriers, they're not that difficult. I mean, growing up doing carpentry, it's like you don't have to talk a lot. A lot of things are just you learn from each other as you move um, and as you you do it. I mean, there's just the conventions and you just build things. Um, there's some fear. There's fear that people are going to lose their jobs. Um, that, you know, I, you know, um, the fear from the plumbers, they're not going to, you know, they're going to be replaced by people that won't earn as much money. There's some fear for that. Um, and then the biggest thing here is fear of the, well, no, I think the biggest thing is a lot of the racism that we get today, you know, and having lived through the 60s and to think that here, that we, that we are where we are now is just crushing for me. Um, but um, our county is 97% white. It's just lack of familiarity with other cultures. The only cultures that people encounter, you know, that are different is when you go to the Mexican restaurant or the Chinese restaurant. I mean, and every town pretty much has one or both. And so that, you know, that's pretty much it. And so you, you don't know anybody else. You know, if you don't know anybody, I mean, if you know people from other cultures, you realize that you have a lot in common and, you know, we're people, but if you don't know them, there's more of a fear element. I think that's just sort of a universal. Absolutely. It's the fear of the unknown and just a lack of exposure, right? And I think when you have more exposure, uh, more education, more everyday dealings with people from different cultures, you get to learn about them and the, their families and culture with the common things that they do is like, hey, man, we, we do similar stuff, but you just need that familiarity um, with others. And I think once people become, you know, come into closer proximity to each other, that naturally occurs, right? It just naturally happens because <laughs> you're going to be in the same space and you're going to talk about, you know, the football game that just passed by. You're like, oh, man, you saw him caught that touchdown. Oh, man, I would have done it differently or something like that. And you're just chopping it up. You're having a good time. But you just have to break that ice. The true point is that, hey, there is immense amount of opportunity uh, in rural America and uh, there is, as Luke was saying, whether it's, you know, stigma on either side, but a lot of people who, you know, come to America, they look at the coast, right? Or, you know, maybe Atlanta or some other city uh, where it's going to be fierce, fierce competition is no guarantees. Uh, but also there's different areas in the country where there's a lot of opportunity a way that you can build a career for yourself and your family um and and it's present and it takes you know platforms like this to actually talk about it you know i think you're one of the uh, first uh, i think this might be the first episode that we did that was specifically for rural america immigrants in rural america and that's why uh, when when Luke, he came to me, I was like, man, that is a, a great idea. Like, we've never covered that, right? We just haven't 
covered that and have a you know expert like you and the person who's uh, lived in in the life and can give the perspective to actually talk about like and I was thinking like okay why don't more immigrants move to these areas that that sounds like a great opportunity uh, so it's really it comes down to exposure and outreach the, one of the last things this has this is a little tangent but uh, looking through your book and everything I, I want to get into a little of the anecdotes of rural town life and it says here that uh, there was an occasion where a small town bar owner stopped a fight in the bar by firing up his chainsaw you have to explain this story to me <laughs> <laughs> well i um I mean, they're racist here. Most people are good people, and but there are racists here. And I was, I didn't see this, but I was sitting in a bar having a beer in one of our little towns, and and they're talking about just a bar fight the other night. And one of the people said, "Oh, that's nothing like the you know the fight in you know whenever you know 1983." And somebody said, "Well, what happened?" And then some you know some. Uh, Black people from Des Moines came into the bar and wanted a beer, and they started getting hassled by local people. And you know, it's just sad; it happens. And um, I mean, it's just yeah, it's just too bad. But then your yeah, point isn't yeah. for me to say it's bad. Yeah, the point yeah. was that once the fight started, the bartender went and got his chainsaw and walked into the bar, and everybody ran. <laughs> He's like, "This ends here. All right, <laughs> we're not having any foolishness." <laughs> But yeah, and so, yeah, I don't know. I don't understand it. I, I think what we need, I mean, we need, we as a people, we need to have open minds and open hearts. And, we, and then we need to draft policies that help everybody. And it's just so frustrating to me that we have, we have a refugee crisis and America is sitting back and not doing anything about it. It's the worst refugee crisis, and it's in, you know environment. It's environmental. A lot of it. It's beyond the people's control. If you can't farm in Guatemala anymore, and you need to feed your kids, you're going to seek a better life. And it's like we don't care. We've got you know. And I've had somebody tell me this. Well, I've got mine. They can get theirs. No, it's just. That's a problem. America used to be better than this. We used to, we would have reached out our hands and, and, and to help people. That's what we were about. And now we close the borders. We don't, not everybody, but a lot of us just don't care. We just don't care. In fact, you know, we, you know, and went forward to the point where immigrant immigration has become this this dividing thing when it doesn't have to be, it should be a uniting thing because immigrants can help themselves and help us make our communities richer and better. And we're being so small-minded and so uncaring and so cruel that we're not gonna do anything about it. That's not the America that I know and love. And I don't know how to make it change, but, we're to a breaking point and um, it's just, if we can decide and be active and address these problems or 
we can just let things happen. And that's not in anybody's best interest, I don't think. And so we need smart public policy. The need is there on both sides of the border. The need is desperate on both sides of the border. As the population ages, we need people paying into social security. We need, I don't know, there's so much that the immigrant can offer. And we should be willing to help them find a better life, the ones that we can. This is a, I think that your, your article is, is a great necessary first step to, you know, sharing that perspective and kind of making it, making it known to, to everyone who, who can be a change maker that there's a deal that can be done here. There's, there's needs on both sides and there's opportunity on both sides to, to get that done. And, you know, if uh, policymakers continue to overlook this massive area of the country and, and communities like yours, then those opportunities are, are going unfulfilled and, and no one's the better for it. So we really appreciate your, your time here and, and hearing your perspective and stories. Uh, people can and should definitely read your book, uh, Deep Midwest, Midwestern Explorations. I'm, I'm sure there are more chainsaw-like anecdotes throughout. <laughs> uh, and yeah, if people want to get in contact, is, is there a way that they can reach out to you? Sure. Um, my email address is rdw leonard common spelling l-e-o-n-a-r-d at gmail.com and uh, yeah i don't know email addresses don't work so well over radio or podcasts but they yeah they can find me on twitter under robert leonard that's easy perfect perfect well bob thank you so much i appreciate your time and if both sides give each other a chance real change can be made and this is, a, as Luke was saying, is a great first step. And uh, we appreciate the work that you do. It's been a pleasure and an honor. You guys uh, make me feel good about the future. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter at IMMNerds and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.